Good morning, everyone. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number five. John chapter number five, and we're going to start reading in verse number one. So glad that you've joined us. I hope you've started already to enjoy your social circle, as we've been told that we're allowed to do. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's lots of hugging going on and proper thing. And uh, we'll be looking at John chapter five. And again, thank you for being with us. Uh, John chapter number five. And we're going to be looking at Jesus, the great physician in this portion of scripture. Uh, and uh, I think it'll be an encouragement to you. And I hope so as we go forward. John chapter five, verse number one. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at the certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he made said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the water. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time we have to be together via this route uh, digitally. Lord, I pray that you encourage our hearts to look to you as our great physician. You are a wonderful Lord and help us to give you all the honor and glory and praise that you so richly deserve. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John's purpose throughout the book of John is to exalt Jesus and to bring all men to the Lord. John 20, 30 says this for us and many other signs uh, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. In these verses that we just read, we see Jesus as the great physician. He longs to take us from where we are and bring us to where we should be. And this is the work that he's doing in this portion of Scripture. We we see a, a very... Uh, impotent man, a hopeless condition here. He's paralyzed. According to the scriptures, this man had been this condition, this infirmity for 38 years. He had been sick longer than Jesus had been alive. The Bible says infirmity, that, that speaks of weakness or frailness that prevented him from walking around uh, as other men would. That's the condition he's in. Horrible condition, horrible condition at any time. I can't even imagine how bad it was in that time when there was very little social services available. It was always upon the charity of others if you were in such a condition. It's a picture of sinners today as well, the lost, those separated from God. Isaiah 59 two says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you and he will not hear. 
Regardless of what he tries, a sinner is lost and is unable to walk in the ways of the Lord. The sinner may be able to uh, put on a good show and seemingly have all the right things in appearance to be right with God, but the fact remains that God knows the heart of a sinner. And he is dead in his trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. And where in times past ye walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversations in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We, that's what we're dead into. That, that we're dead in those trespasses and sins. And most, most people, those who are lost without Christ, feel they don't need anything. They're okay and uh, we'll make do. The reality is, the lost sinner is in more trouble than he can ever understand. You know, to live your life without God, I mean, that, that's a, that's a bad thing. Uh, it's bad, but to die without God is so much worse. It's a terrible thing. It's the it's the most terrible thing if you could use that vernacular. Uh, we need Christ uh, for the that person who dies without Christ. The destination is hell. Psalms nine seventeen says the wicked shall be turned into hell. And you might say, well, I'm not wicked. Listen, if you're if you don't don't know Christ as Savior, you're a sinner, you're lost. You're on the wicked pathway. You need to turn to Jesus Christ. That's what needs to happen. So this man, he was paralyzed and he was desperate. The very fact that he's here, he's stationed at this place next to this pool is proof positive that he was in desperate need of healing. Imagine him. Imagine in your mind's eye, he's trying to drag his broken body toward the pool. Every time it's stirred by that angel that would appear, Every time that happened, maybe uh, he had some family members who made him a homemade crutch, or if he could even use a crutch, or maybe it was just all crawling. I, I really don't know. That's not all described for us. But at the, any rate, it, the description is pitiful. It's desperate. There are a few finner, uh, sinners uh, who are desperate about their spiritual condition today. Many live their lives as if it will go on indefinitely. One day, one day it will end. Everyone's life ends. And then it will be totally too late to change anything about the condition of being lost. Don't be guilty of presuming on tomorrow. We don't know. The Bible warns us numerous times about that presumption. James 4.14, whereas you know not what you shall be in the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor appear for a little time and then vanishes away. It's gone. Boast not thyself tomorrow, Proverbs 27, 1 says, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know. And these verses are just not uh, conditioned towards the lost. Obviously, it is definitely an encouragement for the lost to come to Christ, but it's an encouragement and exhortation to us as believers. What are you doing? You know, as of Friday... According to the world calculations and things, 425,000 people have died from COVID. Now, I know there might be disagreement about it was it this COVID or was it related to something else, but that's the number. I, I have nothing to do with the number besides what's posted. 
you know, seven months ago, what was COVID-19? It wasn't anything. I mean, what was that? You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what the day holds. Today, that's a word for us as believers. What are you doing with your life? Right now, I know things are on pause. You know, it's been encouraging to see uh, individuals of our church to come in and do help us with these recordings and things and, and to see them. And the question is asked, what are you doing? And it's usually not much and a joke of eating lots of food and things that the pandemic uh, gorge or whatever, you know, we're, we're eating too much. Uh, the reality is, what are you doing with your life? Uh, I don't say that to criticize those who have been in for the recording or anything, but it's the idea is, what are we doing? What are we putting our life into? What are we investing ourselves in? What is it? What, what is your, what, what, are you, what are you taking your precious time and putting it into? Because we only have a, a limited amount of time. Where's your resources going? Now, I'm convinced that there's very few people who genuinely desire to go to hell. I have not met anyone, actually, who said, I want to go to hell. I've met lots of people who are looking for assurance that they will go to heaven on their own terms. They're they're looking, oh, I've done this or I've done this. The reality is it has nothing to do with your accomplishments or whatever you might be trying to do to attempt to obtain salvation. The only way to accomplish that is that you must come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Acts 4.12 tells us that. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. There's no other way. It's through Christ alone. He's a defeated man. He was desperate. He was defeated. He tells Jesus that every time he goes to the water, someone else beats him there. There's no way he can get there in time. I mean, there's other people trying to get there as well for that healing. They desire it. Year after year, maybe his hopes rise up. Maybe this will be the year. and Maybe I'll do this to be closer. And the dreams are shattered because someone else beats him to the water. A man can try to as many things as he wants to bring peace and salvation to his soul. But his works, his religion... His goodness, giving, praying, whatever he's trying to do, none of these will be good enough to obtain salvation because the only way salvation is obtained is through the blood of Jesus Christ and accepting Christ as Savior. Whatever way they try outside of Christ, it will be disappointing. And for some, it will be eternally disappointing. Now, man can show outward righteousness and worth but the only way we can have true worth in the eyes of Jesus Christ is to accept Christ as Savior. First Peter one eighteen. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as lamb, without blemish, without spot. We see he had some companions too in verse number three, and there were laid a great multitude of impotent folk, the blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. This man is surrounded by others who were in the same position. Now, they might not have the same, absolutely the same uh, uh, infirmity, but they all had problems. The impotent man, meaning feeble or diseased. Halt 
is an individual who was crippled or lame. Uh, those who are withered, it has the idea of one limb or maybe even multiple limbs not working as they were designed by God. They offered him, I mean, I guess there was some comfort being around those individuals, but they offered him no hope, and I think the comfort would be small amount because they couldn't even really take care of themselves. They were desperate, just as he was. They were desperate to release from this prison of physical problems, of health. Even if these people were able to help this man to get to the pool, you know that they would get in the pool first before him because they wanted to be healed. They probably wouldn't have helped each other anyway. I kind of get the scene that was total chaos when that water was stirred. It was every man for himself. did not matter who got hurt in the process. It was everyone wanted that healing and only one was healed. So we were all going for that one. Now, these broken individuals really give us a vivid illustration of sinners who are helpless, blinded, and useless before the Lord. Ephesians 2.12 says that at that time you were with Christ, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That man is surrounded by others who are in the same boat as him. Others were just as hurting. Uh, today, sinners are surrounded by those who are just as lost as they are. Not, not able to offer any hope to each other or any help. You know, this has the saying, say, misery loves company. That's exactly the case here. Often sinners will surround themselves with those who are just as bad or if not worse than them. kind of in a vain attempt to justify their behavior or condition and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person is. Well, that doesn't change the situation that you're still lost and you're still in need of a savior. In verse number six, we see the Messiah stops by him when Jesus saw him lie. This shows the compassionate side of the Lord and knew that he'd been now a long time in that case. You know, Jesus is known for caring for the sinner. Jesus knew everything that was to know about that man. He knew that he was crippled. He knew he was unable to walk. He knew exactly how many days he had been unable to stand, if he ever was able to stand at all. He knew everything about this man. He knew that he was totally dependent upon others for everything he had in life. Yet Jesus reached out. Reached out to this man. What a picture of his grace and mercy. Just a little bit of tidbit of information. The word Bethesda means house of mercy. Now, isn't our God a merciful God? Isn't our Savior merciful to all sinners? Jesus knows all about our condition. He knows about the condition of all sinners. He knows that we love our sins. Sinners love our sins. We can't control our passions. Yeah, and we desire things from the world that would gratify our flesh. Yet he still loves us. And Jesus refuses to look at this man and see anything else but our search that they're not seeing, but refuses not to throw out the lifeline of grace. He looks beyond his faults and says, here, here's a lifeline of grace. It's a humbling thing. And it's an awesome thing to know that Jesus loves you. 
in spite of all the things you've done wrong. He knows all the sin that's taken place in your life. He knows that we'll fail. Hey, as believers, we fail, we falter. He knows, but he still loves us. That's amazing. It's wonderful. What a testimony of the amazing grace of our God. Mark 2, verse 17, the latter part of, I like the, I love the last part of that verse. I mean, it's a great verse anyway, but it says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why Jesus came. We see Jesus in a couple different ways here. He comes uh, to this poor man. This man has nothing, zero, nothing, besides a bed. He didn't have money in a bank account. He didn't have a house up on the, the hills of the Judean uh, countryside. He reaches down in genuine love to this man who's in the lowest of low places. And he shows that he's a sacrifice. He came as a sacrifice. Jesus came. He died for that man. And he died for whoever you are watching this video right now. He went to Calvary and gave his life a ransom for sinners, for all sinners. He paid that price on the cross. He took his sin upon him. He paid it. He he provided redemption. He suffered agony in our place. He became our sin and suffered such a horrific death so that we would not have to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For it made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he may be made the righteousness of God in him. So he comes as a sacrifice. He comes as a savior. Today Jesus comes to the sinner and he comes as a savior. I provided, the everlasting one has provided for you. And all you have to do is accept him as that. He desires that you would be saved. He desires that no man goes to hell. That's not his desire. He desires that men would have a relationship with him. And he calls, and he calls, and he calls. If you will respond in faith, he will not deny you. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty seven. So we see he came as a sacrifice, he's as a savior, but he's sovereign. One day, if the sinner... If the individual does not accept Christ as Savior, does not respond to the gospel message, he will face Jesus, not as the sacrifice and not as a Savior, but as sovereign. The same Jesus who has the power today to save you has the power to sentence you, to be eternally separated because you refused his salvation. If Jesus is not your savior, he will be your judge. John 5:22. For the Father judges no man but committeth all judgment unto the Son. Please do not presume upon the grace and goodness of God. If anything, take the opportunity given now and run to him for salvation. Don't 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 presume tomorrow will be a better day. We see an incredible miracle in verse 6. Uh, he comes to him and asks him, uh, "What the, wilt thou be made whole? Jesus is making an offer here. Jesus asks this man if he would like to be healed. And the man responds according to his flesh and tells Jesus that there's no one to help him. Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. And he, he lays it out there. This man is guilty of saying things that uh, many others are guilty of. 
He's confusing the physical with the spiritual. Jesus comes offering him uh, physical healing from a spiritual source, but the the law of the man is just on the physical and how to accomplish it. You know, even the day Jesus comes to lost sinners and makes an offer of salvation, and I have heard this personally as I've witnessed to people and testify of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Oh, I'm not good enough. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one. Oh, I, I can't ha- I can't hold out on that. I'm thinking that they accept this gift of salvation, but they retain it in their actions. Oh, I've been too wicked. Oh, it won't work for me. I mean, I've heard all these things. The problem is that the sinner is looking at the physical solution uh, to a spiritual problem. He's thinking the physical can take care of the spiritual. They get it all reversed. It's the other way around. The sinner needs to be saved. He needs that spiritual transaction to help the physical. That's something that no man can do for himself. It takes the power of God through the conviction of the Spirit and then to accept Christ through what he's done through uh, spilling his blood, providing that sacrifice we just mentioned. Then salvation is available. If Jesus is calling you to come to him, if that conviction is in your heart, you you know the Lord's been working on you. He's been bringing verses to mind or he's bringing people across your path uh, and testifying of his goodness. Don't tarry. Don't tarry. Don't put that conviction aside and say, I'll do it another day. No, come to the Lord today. Obey him. Jesus tells this man to get up and walk in verse number eight. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. It's an order. Jesus tells this man to get up and walk. Jesus tells this man to do something that he hasn't done in 38 years, or if he's done it at all. I mean, we don't know exactly how old he is. Maybe he was born this way. That's a pretty incredible command, don't you think? However, all that was required of that man, all that was required of that man was to stand up. He didn't have to get all the boxes checked off that he had done the nine-step program, or that he turned over this leaf or this leaf. No, he just simply needed to obey. When the call comes to sinners lost in sin, without Christ, that individual needs to respond in faith. They obey what God has said. You know, Jesus comes by and says, follow me. So the command to follow me is just to follow him. That's the reality. That man refuses because it sounds too simple. So for some, that's the case. It is simple. Jesus didn't design it to be complicated. It doesn't require perfection before you follow. It requires faith in him. Now, for children, it seems to be a bit easier for them to understand this because they're so used to depending upon others to take care of their needs, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, whoever it is. As adults, we find it a little more difficult. We're conditioned to make our own way. And it's right that we should provide for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. But our own mindset, we get, it starts to change. And we're taught to stand on our own two feet. The reality is we need to take care of responsibility, but we need Jesus to stand on our own two feet. We need the Lord. In verse number nine, immediately the man was made whole. He stood up and took his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. When the, when the Lord tells this man what to do, he does it. And he was immediately healed. He was able to get up and walk. 
It was a miracle, which required no input from the men but to get up, to receive it as such. The Lord said to get up, okay, I'm going to get up. And the, the Lord empowered him. Now, salvation works the same way, similar way. Jesus comes to the sinner and calls him to salvation. And all that's required of the sinner is to humbly obey the call of the Lord. And in obedience, uh, he accepts salvation, and he is transformed at that moment. He's delivered from wrath, and now he becomes an heir of all that heaven has to offer. All this simply because the sinner turns from his sin, and he places his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Humbly believing. Jesus Christ has the power to take any life that is broken and ruined by sin and make it all over again. That doesn't mean that you escape the consequences of that sin or you don't have to deal with those things. But the reality is he changes your life. He transforms your life. This life and the one to come. He's all powerful. He's all saving. Wherever you are right now, he will lift you up if you will come to him. Bring you out of the miry clay. bring Pluck you up out of the pit as referred to in Psalms. You just come to him. Jesus demonstrates his power as the great physician. Uh, no doctor ever goes into his waiting room and says, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. Uh, no, he prescribes medicine to maybe help with the situation. And some medicines do heal situations, but just not with the spoken word. It's with concoctions that are made up or whatever. Jesus has the power because he is the great physician. And he heals this man's body. And that's wonderful. Healing body is amazing. I mean, that's totally beyond anything we could ever do. And we praise the Lord for it. But the most important thing that Jesus does as a great physician is to heal the soul. No doctor can heal the soul. It's only through Christ. Oh, he heals the body, and that's wonderful in this situation. Uh, and the reality is a doctor might help with a physical ailment and, and, and give you, you know, with that uh, medicine, that treatment plan, give you years, but the body will still perish. But with Jesus, the soul never will. Spend eternity with him. Rather than to be totally separated in a place called hell. Today, do you know Christ as Savior? Maybe you would, uh, maybe you, you need to. Maybe you're lost without him. You are definitely lost without him, but you don't, you have not yet made that greatest decision. You have yet to confess Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. Why put it off any longer? Why put it off? I mean, there really is no good reason or excuse to put off the greatest decision you'll ever make. And you'll come to him today, he will not turn you away. Believe the great physician healed you and praise the Lord for us. What are you doing for Christ? Are you using the resources, the talents, the abilities God's given you 
Are you using that to glorify and honor his name? I would encourage you to examine your heart. Don't presume upon God the reality of not doing anything. Oh, you're saved. You're, you're eternally uh, secure in Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But don't whittle away your days, your, your hours, your moments. And make sure that you're using the gifts in a great way for Jesus Christ, the best way possible. I'm so thankful that I know the great physician. And he cares. Do you know him? Are you serving him as you should? Dear Jesus, thank you for all you have done. Thank you for salvation you have so freely offered. As we've been traveling through the book of John time and time again, showing the lost the need of salvation, their need for you. Lord, I pray that you work in the hearts of those who might watch this and don't know you as Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would turn to you. The greatest need in their life is Jesus. Oh, I pray for us as believers. Help us to be using the days and times, the moments you've given us, you've invested in us, the best ways possible for your glory. Oh, Lord, help us to look to you for direction and guidance. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions about this message or other messages you've heard uh, and would like to know some more, or maybe you need to make that decision for Christ, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can send us a message. You can email us. You can phone the church office. We would love to help you. That's our desire. That's what we want to see in everybody's life, following Christ to the very best of their ability. Just some reminders as we finish off here this morning. Please do join us uh, for 5 p.m. this afternoon as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 7 and look forward to that. And uh, please do go ahead and read that portion of scripture. It'll just help uh, as we go through the study this evening. And uh, you may want to go over some previous chapters. We'll take a little quiz time as well as we've been doing and just encouraging you to dive in the word and get to know it better. Now, folks, I hope you have a great Sunday. Uh, get that nap in, enjoy a great lunch with your family, and keep looking to Jesus, keep exploring the Word.